Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review, that would be very appreciated. All right guys, let's dive in. Because some people, when met with adversity, they rise up and they get very competitive and they they rush into the storm. Some people, when they're met with adversity, they fall back, they kind of bear down, they cringe, they, they get really stressed out, and they, they kind of become immobile. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you and welcome back. I appreciate you guys coming back. We have another great live Q&A replay for you today. Uh, we talk a little bit about the uh, uh, flipping process and what are some of the things that you can do to a house that are just like little extras to help you with the appraisal if you're doing like the Burr method for example what kinds of things are important when you're trying to get that reappraised um, we also talked about uh, what's you know just how do you handle uh, world events polarizing topics in the workplace how do you keep from uh, having people get offended and and maybe conversations happening in the workplace that are very polarizing and maybe not appropriate. We talked a little bit about that. Somebody asked me straight up, when do I quit my W-2? So we had a really good uh, conversation around when you should be quitting your job. So that's huge. Um, and then we talked a little bit about seasonality when it comes to marketing and how do you handle seasonality and when the marketing isn't working certain times of the year. So we had a lot of good, really good questions actually and uh, some some nice uh, conversation. So hopefully you guys really, really enjoy this. I think this is a, a really great one. Uh, so buckle up and get ready to uh, hear the latest Q&A replay. Okay, we're live, guys. Thanks for coming back. I appreciate it. Uh, we are here with you on Wednesdays, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific. And I am excited that you guys are back here with me. And uh, let me just get set up here. Like I said, we're here every week for you guys. Hopefully, so we've started to get people who are coming every single week, and that's awesome. I love seeing people come back and return uh, to uh, hang out with us and hopefully get some of their uh, questions answered. Um, but we're here for you, and and I and I love doing this because it feels like I'm kind of connected to people, and I'm getting answers. Uh, I'm getting answers for your questions in a timely manner. I know that uh, this industry, like all businesses, it's just about like velocity and we need to keep moving forward. And sometimes we get stuck in our business and we don't know what to do. We have some little thing tripping us up or some question that we feel like is fundamentally holding us back. And uh, I'm here uh, to help you. Oh, camera off, camera back on. I'm here to, uh, to help you with that uh, every single week. And so I'm excited to do that for you. Uh, let's see. Oh, good. My camera's on now. Look at that. You do this a hundred times and you forget to turn your camera on the hundred and first time. Okay. Now I'm with you actually visibly too. So uh, if you're logged on and that was jarring, I apologize. <laughs> um, but anyways, so I, I know little things can hold us back in our business and we get kind of caught up on some details that 
you know, they're easily solved by someone who has experienced someone who's been where you are and they can jump in and say, hey, just, you know, here, here you go. This is what you need to do and and we can move forward. And so that's what this is designed to do. If you're not taking advantage of it, um, then you should. I I think you should be on here every Wednesday because uh, I'm. I'm owner of seven figure flipping, one of the biggest masterminds in the world. And people pay uh, several, several, several thousand dollars a year to be able to have access to me and some other folks that are in the group, like Bill Allen and Terry Berger and, you know, everybody who's in the group, they're all awesome. But but it costs a lot to sometimes get plugged into those kind of communities and that kind of experience. And so I step out of that and answer questions for you live for free every single week. And I think if you have a business in real estate and you're struggling at all, or you just want to know maybe what you don't know, you can log on here and participate and I can help you. To that end, if you have a business that you've started and you're struggling to grow and you need more than once a week as asking a question here and there, if you need some real guidance, like like how do I actually set up a business that is scalable, that is profitable? How do I learn how to hire, when to hire, who to hire? How do you pay them? How do I structure my business? You know, how do I create this machine that can create a seven-figure income uh, without me having to kill myself and reinvent the wheel and figure it all out on my own? If that's you, if that describes you on any level, then you need to immediately, even right now, you can leave this live stream for a minute and go to seven-figure investor. That's the word seven, not the number. The word seven, sevenfigureinvestor.com. Go there and check it out. I have created a program that is incredibly affordable and it's designed for folks who have gotten their business off the ground and they don't know how to grow and scale it. They're struggling to get any momentum, to get any traction. That's what it's designed for. It's not really designed to show you how to get your very first deal and to figure it out from scratch. Although you will be able to get your first deal if you go in this program, there's gonna be a lot that we're gonna cover that's going to be things that you're gonna need down the road, but not things you need right now. Uh, But if you have that business where you've already gotten your first deal and maybe your second, third, maybe your 10th deal, but you just don't know how to create a repeatable, process, a system that generates massive income for you and doesn't make you work 80 to 100 hours a week. If that's what you're looking for, I've got you covered. Go to sevenfigureinvestor.com and let's figure it out together. Okay. I'm going to dive into the questions that we have. We get them all week long. Some of them are left over from the week before. If there's a lot of live participation, we don't always get to the questions that are emailed and and DM to me. So if that's what you're doing, if you're DMing me or emailing me questions for this live, and then you want to like tune in and hear it, it may take a while if we get people logged in who are asking live questions. I, I always prioritize folks who are here live with me because they made the effort to come live. But we will dive into some of the questions that we didn't get to last week and some that we got throughout the week. And so let's do that. First question, with everything that's going on in the world, I've been trying to keep our office environment positive and minimize the polarizing conversations. Do you have some thoughts on how this, uh, how to achieve this? Uh, maybe some work hard, play hard activities to team build. I think team building in your company is is important. It's great. I think you should be doing it. It can't all be about work. Um, you can also, you know, with the work hard, play hard thing and you go out and team build, that's, that's a good idea. There's going to be a certain amount of people that just don't want to give up their personal time, you know? So if you're going to team build, maybe take off early one day, like like half day on Friday or something and go do something because people have families. And sometimes I found, I found this in my own business. It's hard sometimes to, to create after work activities if people have, you know, private, personal family things they want to 
do and take care of or just want to kind of unwind. Um, and so what you can do also is is try to make sure that your office environment isn't all work. And I know that sounds crazy and maybe counterproductive and, um, you know, sort of like anti-productive, in fact, but it's not. I, I think taking time to have, you know, fun, personal conversations, something that isn't work related is super important for the morale of the company. But as far as, you know, not um, talking about po polarizing conversations because of what's going on in the world, I think that's like, Either you, you get everyone together and just sort of have that conversation like, hey, you know, there's things happening. Um, not everyone feels the same way. You know, people's feelings can be hurt and, and you can offend people like maybe let's not talk politics and religion in the workplace. And, and maybe while you're at it, don't talk about your stance on abortion. Like, let's not hit all the hot buttons at work so that we don't upset and piss off people that you have to work with. Um, you don't know what their opinions are. And it's not really, you know, your place to push your opinions in the workplace. And just maybe have that discussion open and honest and sort of keep it light. Don't get real heavy. You can do it as a group or do it individually. If you know there's one person who kind of is doing it and causing the issue, um, you can pull them aside privately and just say, listen, let's stop it. Like, we don't, we don't want to have those conversations here. It's causing a problem and, um, just let them know. You know, I, I think it's just, we're adults. Everyone's adults. I'm, I'm assuming you're not employing children. So we're all adults have the conversation, just be upfront about it and say, Hey, I, I may agree with you. I may not, I'm not easily offended, but there's others in the office and, and I don't want them to be offended potentially. So let's keep, politics, religion, and all these things that are very polarizing, eh, let's just keep our opinions to ourselves, And then uh, nobody has to be upset. So that's what I would do, honestly. But I think kind of having these, these fun conversations during the day keeps the work environment a little bit more interesting and fun. I know that I've worked for people in the past, and I've worked for companies where I actually look forward to getting up and going in because the people were fun, the conversations were fun, we had a ton of fun, but we got a lot of work done. So we did the work hard, play hard during the nine to five work day. Like that was when we kind of had this work hard, play hard. We'd work our butts off, but there would be portions of the day where we're having a little bit of fun and it's a little light and it's not really a lot of work getting done, but we're, we're having a good time. And then everyone sort of knew when it was time to shift gears and get things done. And so that's how I've always preferred to run that kind of environment. Um, yeah, but, but just, you know, t take the temperature of your office, take temperature people. If there's one person who's causing the issue, like maybe have just one conversation, don't, don't punish everyone with a lecture that it's only one person doing it. You can just kind of nip that in the bud. Um, but I would have that conversation because I think it's important for people to not feel like it's all work. And then when you go to work, you got somebody talking about something that's, you know, super polarizing and controversial and you have to deal with that. So just have the conversation. I, I think if you treat people like adults, they'll act like adults. I tend to believe that. All right. Next question. I'm in the rehab process for my first BRRR. B -R -R. My budget allows for a few want to items. My question is, what are the items that get the highest value for the appraisal? Any tips? Um, you know, appraisers are humans. So, you know, they their appraisal is no matter what they tell you is partially subjective. Okay. So the big things are kitchens and bathrooms. Obviously, they have huge impact um, on appraisals. Hopefully, you're doing things like painting and that kind of stuff because 
you know, like I said, appraisers are human. They walk into a house, they smell fresh paint, they see new kitchens and bathrooms, they see new flooring. I'm assuming you're doing all of that stuff anyway. It sounds to me like you're talking about things that really don't have to be done. Um, I'm sort of torn because yeah, you can do like, you can put a backsplash in, in the kitchen where maybe you weren't going to because it didn't have to be done. It wasn't in the budget, but you have the money to do it. Yeah, go ahead and do it. It's part of the kitchen. It makes the kitchen look better. I think landscaping can be very important, especially for um, when it's certain times of the year when, you know, like in the north, in the wintertime, landscaping is completely unimportant. There's no point in really doing anything um, other than cleaning up a little bit. Uh, but in, in areas where it's warm or during the time of the year where it's warm in, in all the states, then landscaping can be a big deal. Light landscaping can make a difference. But ultimately, appraisers should not be swayed by small aesthetics that should not change. Um, you're saying want to items. And so I'm assuming we're talking small dollar amounts. It's not like you have ten or $15,000 for a want to. Because if that if you're trying to spend ten or $15,000 on extras, keep the ten or fifteen. That's profit for you, right? But if you're saying you've got an extra 500, 600 bucks to, for nice little things, I would spend it on, you know, like a backsplash in the kitchen can be really nice. I would say um, light staging is where I would spend that money, you know, plants and, and certain things, putting towels up, you know, in the bathroom. Um, stuff like that like that's where i would spend little little amounts of money is just the the fine finishing touches on certain rooms so they look complete that that's where i would spend the money if i were you on the want to stuff it really shouldn't matter though i mean appraisers should not be swayed by plants or or towels hanging in the back like they shouldn't be but they're human it, it the house just looks more put together it looks more valuable i guess on some level when it's completely got these finishing touches in there so that's where i would go but if you're talking massive amount of like money for want to stuff like you know five thousand dollars ten thousand like that's profit keep it don't don't waste time don't try to spend all your money is my point if you've come in under budget then you're under budget that's great you know and if you've done everything that you need to do to the house and everything you planned on doing and all the upgrades that you thought were important <clears throat> then don't go out of your way to make sure you drain that. This isn't like, you know, I worked in corporate for a long time and it was always a big thing in corporate that if your department has a budget and you don't spend it, your budget will be lower the following year. So everyone was all up in arms to spend the whole budget, right? If we have an extra $10,000, like what are we going to buy? We've got to get something for $10,000. Otherwise they'll cut our budget next year. That's not what this is, right? You're a rehabber. You have, you can, fund your budget any way you want, anytime you want. And so you don't have to spend all the money. So be careful that you don't get caught up in that. Okay. Uh, need you's back. Welcome back. As a, speaking of, of return, uh, p folks to the, to the show here, to the Q and a, uh, need you is a return, uh, guest. It's not really a guest return person. Okay. Uh, your question last week, it was mentioned of 10 walkthroughs. You guys, to get three to four deals questions if of the 10 walkthroughs how many offers do you give do those offers expire after a certain period what do you say to or do to create urgency to get the contract signed it's a really good question um in most cases our goal is to give 10 offers we just know 
most of them are not going to be taken, right? And when I say offers, it doesn't necessarily mean we wrote out an offer because it all starts verbally. And so if we give them an offer or even a ballpark offer when we're in their home and they're just like, no way, no chance, never in a million years, right? We're not going to waste the time to write it out because they're not going to sign it. But of those 10 that we walk through, some of them and it really, when you ask about the urgency, <clears throat> excuse me, this is where you have to understand every conversation with every seller is different. Some sellers, you can tell during the course of the conversation, if you give them urgency, it will it will make them act. It will it will make them feel like they have to do something. Some people, if you put that on them, it'll it'll go completely off the rails. And so you have to be. You have to spend the time with a person to really understand not only their their challenges and their motivation for selling, but also understand their personality. You know, some people, when put under pressure, just say no and they just go forget it, right? So you can't put this urgency on everybody. But if we think that we can, we do. In other words, if we if we even offer and they say, Yeah, that that price is something I would consider. Um, I'm not ready to sign right now. I need to think about this a little bit. Or they say a lot of times there is another investor that's coming later or tomorrow or in an hour or whatever it is. And I want to hear what they have to say first before I make a decision. That's when the urgency comes in. And usually we say something along the lines of that's totally fair and totally reasonable. I don't blame you. However, I am on my way to another appointment after this one. And there's a good chance I'm going to make an offer on that house. I don't have unlimited funds to buy houses. And so if I make an offer on that house that I'm going to right now and they accept it, I may not have money to come back here and honor the price that we just discussed that you didn't take and you want to wait. So if you want to let me go to that other house and potentially make an offer and take the money I was going to give you and give it to them, that's fine. You can do that. Also, maybe I don't buy that house in an hour when I go and visit them. But we look at houses all the time. If you call me back in a day or two and say you're ready to move forward, I may have to lower my offer. Things change, right? The market changes. My situation changes. My my need to buy more houses goes up and down. And so right now, I'm, I'm in the buying mode. I want to buy your house because I have the money. I want the house. I see it. I like it. I think it makes sense. I want to move forward. If you wait a couple of days, I might completely change that. Might all, that might, might all change for me. I may not want your house as bad anymore. Or maybe I found a house that I just like better. It's a better deal for me. And so you can always wait and you can always talk to the other investors. And that's totally up to you. It's your, your prerogative. It's your house. And I don't blame you. But, but just understand, the minute I walk out this door, this offer's off the table. It's gone. And so when you call me tonight and you say, I want, I want to go ahead with this, I may or may not be able to honor this price. So it's up to you. You decide what you want to do. It's some it's like that, right? And then for some people, we 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 go, we come on maybe a little stronger. And for some people, not quite so strong, right? So it's and then some people we don't we don't even do that to them. You know, it just depends on the person and, and what we think that they're what they need to get them over the hump to make the decision. <clears throat> Sorry guys, I'm in a little bit of a throat situation here. Okay, hopefully that answers your question, need you. Let me take a drink of water so I don't keep clearing my throat. 
Okay, Mike Aziz is back too. Another another regular. All right, Mike, what do you got? If if you give the seller the price they want, would that would let's see, would that give an advantage to them to have them sign faster? If you give the seller the price they want. Um yeah, prob probably, not always, probably. But the problem is most sellers want more than we can give them. They they think their house is worth more than we can give them. If not, then yeah, if, if if what we're prepared to offer them is exactly what they want, it usually is a done deal. It's rarely will that get away from us, right? Because we'll really start kind of applying a lot of logic or pressure and say, listen, we're giving you exactly what you wanted. What's what's the hold up here? And if they still don't sign, we'll probably come out a little stronger. We'll probably say, okay, so let me get this straight. You had a price and we accepted that price, but you're not going to sign. Okay, if I leave here, there's a really good chance my price goes down. I'm going to offer less in an hour. If you call me in an hour, I'm going to offer less because I feel like I've given you what you wanted and you're still saying no. So it, it must be me. I must have done something to offend you. I apologize. Um, but if we don't sign this before I leave, then I, I'm going to be a little bit hurt too. And so probably I'm going to take the money and just spend it somewhere else. Like we, so we go that hard sometimes if people do that, but rarely does that happen. If they, if we give them what they want, we get the contract, like they sign, right? Um, but rarely can we give them exactly what they want because they need a reality check usually. And the reality check comes in during the get to know you process when we're sitting down at their kitchen table or in their living room or walking through their house, we're getting to know them and we're getting to understand their motivation. And if they have motivation, we will remind them of that motivation consistently throughout the process and how we can help them with that issue that they're having, whatever it is that's motivating them to sell, we are going to solve that problem for them. And then by the time we get to the end, if we're willing to give them what they want and the motivation is being met, like the, the challenges that they, they're having are being you know, met by us, they sign, they just do. Um, but, it, but if, you know, if they don't, then, then we just tell them that's fine, but we're not coming back with the same offer. So it's up to you. The, the offer will drop. You know, we just usually do that because it's very frustrating when you give somebody what they want and they still don't sign. But that being said, it's super rare that, that I don't think that that happens like almost ever in our business. It just doesn't. We usually come in a little lower. We have to give them a reality check. And then we we bring them closer to what we want. And usually there's some sort of compromise where they come down a little more, we go up a little bit and we get it done. Like that's a that's a typical, typical deal. Um, but if their motivation is just really, really strong, like really, 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 really strong, we usually get the house at a great price because we fix the problem. Whatever that problem is, we make sure it gets fixed. And there's a lot of perceived value in a lot, right? Like you can pay for a moving truck, for example, and spend 500 bucks on a moving truck and some movers or $1,000, right? And you discount the house by $20,000 because you offer that. It's perceived value. It's helping them. They maybe can't get it done. They just can't get all that done. And they're not as worried about making an extra 20 on the house. They just don't know how they're going to get their stuff out. And they don't know how they're going to get them loaded into a truck. And they don't know who's going to drive that truck and who's going to unload it at the new place. Like small things can be huge perceived value. Um, there's been times where we've, you know, stopped a foreclosure, making a payment for them, making a, you know, $1,200 payment on a house so that we can give them the time and the mental, you know, clarity and take the stress off of them in order to get the deal done. So, 
some of these little things you can do to solve their their what is in their head insurmountable problem and it can get you significant reductions on the house so that's what that's the kind of things that we do uh okay next question kyle schmidt hey kyle how you doing Next question uh, Kyle has, when is the time to quit <laughs> to quit my W-2? Wow, that's a super personal question. It's almost like asking me, when is the time to propose to my girlfriend? Um, assuming you're not married, and then if you are, you should not have a girlfriend, so don't propose to her. But seriously, though, it, it is very personal. Some people, I'll tell you what, and I don't, I don't like know your situation necessarily, but I would say to a person who's young and maybe lives at home with their with their family and they have no obligations, like quit it now and start dive into real estate now, right? Like what do you have to lose? Now, if you're 40 and you've got three kids and one of them's about to go into college and you have a you know eight hundred thousand dollar mortgage and three cars and all the you know you know wife and whatever and a dog and everything, like you can't quit your W two just because you're excited. You need something to know that you're going to be able to pay your bills and be okay. And so some of it is, is like, what's your situation in life? How many obligations do you have? How old are you? Like what's going on? How much money do you make? How many, and what's your bills? Um, some of it is risk tolerance. Like I would be, I have a high risk tolerance. I would be more likely to quit my job when I have obligations and I make a lot of money than a lot of people. But I'm also married and I want to remain so. And so when I quit my job, my wife was totally supportive, but I also knew if I pushed it and put us in too much of an uncertain situation, that was going to cause friction at home. And and not just because she just wanted to give me friction, but because it truly would stress her out, like beyond her limits of what's reasonable. And so for me, I had a, a job that paid well. I had a home, uh, kids and a mortgage and house pay, uh, car payments and everything. I had all that. And so what I did was I made real estate my side hustle until I saved a year's salary in the bank. And when I did that, I said to my wife, okay, I have a year's salary in the bank. I wanna go off and do this real estate thing. And if eight to nine months into that, it's clearly not working and clearly I'm not going to make it work. Then I can go back to work. It gives me, you know, three or four months of, of find a new job time while we still have money in the bank. And then, you know, I go back to what I'm doing now and, and no big deal. And so that's what we did. So we saved a year's salary and that, that was it. I, I never looked back. I never had to go back to work because I did make it work. In fact, I saved a year's salary. It took me, I don't know. I think it took me like four or five months to save a year's salary, something like that. And then when I quit my job, I had so much more time to devote. It just skyrocketed from there, right? So I never even came close to having to go back. But that's what I did. I saved a year's salary. Um, you just have to figure out what's what's going on with you. Are you married? Or do you have somebody else to consider that you have to consider their feelings and that kind of thing? I say, though, you know, people say burn the boats and like just quit and don't give yourself a plan B because then you'll succeed. I get it. And that works for some people. You know, it, it spurs them on because some people when met with adversity they rise up and they get very competitive and they they rush into the storm some people when they're met with adversity they fall back they kind of bear down they cringe they they get really stressed out they they kind of become immobile it just depends on how you handle that and who else you have to consider because you may have a lot of risk tolerance but for example if you're married and your wife does not 
have risk tolerance like you do, it's going to cause conflict. Like this business is tough enough to do with support. If your significant other is directly opposed to you doing this, it's going to make it a lot harder. You want to get their buy-in. So let's have that conversation with anybody in your life that needs to be considered. Find out what their thoughts are, share the vision, make sure everyone understands what's happening and how you're going to accomplish this and then go for it. But I say quit the W-2 as soon as you can, right? Like for some people, that's tomorrow. And if you're 21 and you live in your parents' house and you don't have a car and you don't have a house of your own, obviously, and you don't have kids, and you don't have a wife or husband, then I say quit now because chances are you don't make anything really and you have nothing to lose. Like it's all upside. If it doesn't work, no big deal. You're 21. Like who cares, right? You know, if you're 50, maybe you got to be a little more careful. If you're 30, a little more careful. Maybe not. If you're if you're 30 and you have a house and a dog and no wife and no kids or no husband, no kids, whatever this case is, and you want to do it, great. If you lose your house because it failed, like you're only hurting yourself at that point. That's fine. Then do it sooner. But do it, right? It, you know, it's like if you're in if you're in jail, for me, I, I'm planning my escape. Like I just am. Like I, I want to get out. And so if the your W-2 feels like a jail sentence to you, start planning your escape. Come up with your metrics of how you're going to measure whether or not you're meeting what you have to do if you're on pace to get it done and then get it done. Do not sit in a W-2 job for the next 10 or 20 years saying, this year's the year, this year's the year. Don't keep pushing it. Like set timelines, set a, a KPIs, measure what you're doing and get the hell out of that W-2 as fast as you can. Just don't ruin all your relationships, lose your home and your kids' education money. Like don't lose it because you had to quit tomorrow, but do it as soon as possible. All right. Kind of a long answer. Do it as soon as possible. All right. Next question. <clears throat> Is marketing for your company traditionally seasonal? For example, does direct mail work less effectively during the Christmas season and the summertime? How do you adjust for this? Do you proactively switch it up every year at those times? It's a great question. The answer is uh, yes, it does. Um, it is less effective or it's differently effective at different times of the year. Um, between Thanksgiving and Christmas and kind of through the end of the year, it's sort of crappy. Direct marketing usually takes a nosedive. It does for us. And I'm in Michigan. It's a cold weather state, right? So there's a lot of factors. It's usually snowing and freezing and plus Thanksgiving plus Christmas. It's just a bad time to buy houses here. There are friends of mine that live in warm weather states where they have a really good, like their marketing works really, really well in December, for example. Ours doesn't. And we've tried to adjust our marketing and anticipate and like you say, proactively switch up our marketing to anticipate the fact that it's not going to work as well. And what we found was, for example, our direct mail in the past has performed horribly like the week before Thanksgiving through the end of the year. And so one year we tried just not marketing during that time. We said, we don't get any calls really. Nobody's selling their house. Let's not even market during that time. Well, what happened was it took much longer after the first of the year to get those calls coming in and to get our marketing circulated. It just took time because there's some sort of this sort of kind of an invisible unseen force in marketing and we call it momentum because we don't know what else to call it 
But what I have found time and time again in marketing, not just direct mail, but in marketing, if you stop it and then restart it, it takes more time to restart it than if you just never stopped. And the, the, the ramifications of stopping your direct mail, for example, in December, if it just isn't as effective, the ramifications hit you in January, February, and March. And it takes much, much longer to start getting the deal flow again. And so we decided we're not stopping for anything. We're every week, 52 weeks out of the year, 12 months out of the year, we're marketing, we're doing it. And if it just drops off in December, that's fine. But we know the efforts that we put in in December will start paying off in January sooner than if we stopped altogether in December. So my opinion, do not stop, do not slow down, keep going. Now, if, you're, if your marketing budget is real, real, real tight and you just can't afford it, okay, that's fine. You can't afford it, you can't afford it. But I say, all things being equal, continue your marketing, don't stop it. You will get deals from time to time during that period of time where it's traditionally bad because things happen. People still have life events, even though it's Christmas time or Thanksgiving or whatever, like it's cold out. They still have life events and they still need to sell their house. It's just most people put it off until the first of the year, but you want to get that card in their hand on December you know, 19th or December 28th. You want to get that card in their hand. So on January 1st or January 2nd, they're ready to go. They've got your marketing piece and they're ready to call you. Otherwise, you start marketing sometime at the beginning of January. They get the, the card in their hand mid to late January. They're not calling you until February. So <clears throat> keep that marketing going, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, let's see. I'm going to answer the last one. I got one more question here on my board. I'm going to answer it. We're at 30 minutes. I'm going to answer this one and then I'm done. Unless somebody... Um, uh, somebody who's here live has a question, dive in and I'll, I'll answer it real quick. But until, but uh, I'm going to answer this next one and that'll probably be it then. Okay, next question. In trying to have a great workplace culture, I've been encouraging my employees to speak their minds, but now they are treating me like their drinking buddy. How do I reestablish healthy boundaries but still show my employees I'm hearing them? Yeah, this is, you know, it's your fault, honestly. Um, you've let it go too far. You've, you've let it get a little too loose. It is a fine line. And what I have found is when it's time to get serious, you have to get real serious. And to the point, sometimes you have to bring them back to reality with a harsh conversation or an abrupt conversation or a very frank conversation. Um, but my guess is they took their cue from you and you got a little bit too relaxed and so they got relaxed and maybe they took it a little farther than you did and that made you feel like okay now they're treating me like a drinking buddy honestly I, I i'm all about conversations guys if you know me personally then you probably know that if you don't know me personally i meet things head-on when it comes to like interpersonal conflict i am not passive aggressive i do not hint at what i want from you or what i think of what you're doing um i don't drop clues and hope that you understand what i'm talking about i i don't work that way i will walk up to you sit down with you and say here's what's happening like i want this to be a fun environment but i feel like you're taking it too far you're i feel like i'm being treated like a drinking buddy and i'm in fact your boss i i, I write the checks that pay your bills so 
I want to have fun with you. I love hanging out. I love joking around. I think that's important. I just think you're taking it a little too far. So let's dial it back a little bit. Let's get serious when it's time to get serious. You definitely need to take me serious in the workplace, right? If we do go out and have a drink and you know we want to both kind of loosen up and just sort of like let our hair down, it's fine. But you and I both have to know when we're working, we're working. And when we're goofing around or when we're out socially, then we're out socially. It's totally fine. But you've got to take me and this company and your job and what I tell you about your job seriously while we're working. It has to happen. Has to happen. Otherwise, we have to go back to like straight up work relationship. And that's fine if that's if that's the only way we can do it. I want to be able to have fun. I just want to know that you're taking me and this company seriously. Boom. There's the conversation. It's exactly what I would say. And and maybe I would dial back the intensity depending on the person or dial it up depending on the person, right? It's all like knowing that person but i'm all about saying just saying it like get it out like just talk about it immediately when it's happening like just don't wait don't let it fester don't let it boil to a a point where everyone's going to be pissed like just say it and and don't don't be afraid to say it i just i don't even understand people who don't just say what they're thinking in terms of like trying to fix something in the relationship I, i don't i don't understand guessing what the other person's thinking or like trying to just drop clues or or be real subtle i I just don't it doesn't i don't understand that doesn't compute for my brain i need to just get it out so boom i'm going to put it on the table and we're going to talk about it so um that being said i do think that i have a good working relationship with people that work with me i hang out i go to lunch with with um like one of the people that works with me quite a bit interacts with me a lot like we go out socially it's totally fine we joke around give each other a hard time he gets it. He knows what his job is. He knows what has to get done. He knows when I'm serious. And some of it is just getting to know you a little bit. They have to know when you're serious and when it's time to be serious and when it's okay to not be serious. And you have to help them with that and help them understand when and how it, that all works. So, but don't, don't just, don't hope it gets better and don't drop hints. Like have a conversation with everybody. Like, here you go. Here's what we're doing, guys. I want to have a good time here. It's very important for me that you guys have fun at work. But we have to get the work done. And I can't have you talking to me in a certain way at the workplace. Um, and so we have to adjust. And let's let's just use some good common sense. There you go. That's what I would say. All right, guys. I am calling it for the day. Uh, I appreciate you. We're, we're about f- going on 40 minutes in here. Thanks for showing up, guys, who are here live. Uh, Mike, uh, need you. And Kyle, thanks for uh, asking the questions and showing up. I know there were some of you and there's always a, a, a certain amount of people that log on and they're they're just in the background. They're wallflowers. They're listening. That's great too. Uh, tune in and just listen if you want to. It's totally totally up to you. But I want to help you. I want to answer your questions. So let's Let's uh, throw them in the chat in the future and let's let's get down to business and answer some questions. All right, guys, that's all for this week. We'll see you next time. Again, go to uh, and check out my program, sevenfigureinvestor.com. I want to help you with your business this year. All right, guys, we'll see you later. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.